All right, and welcome back to Favorite Things. Uh, I'm your host, Mark, and right next to me is my co-host. I'm Betsy. Uh, and we want to stop and take a moment to welcome our newest listeners. Uh, we uh, are welcoming back Callie Ann, now listening with HD. Um, <laughs> and that's a joke that she'll get. Uh <laughs> and everyone else uh, can figure it out. Uh, but uh, if you're one of our other new listeners, welcome. Uh, if you came by because we're talking about James Bond, we're about halfway through, go ahead and listen to the backlog. Uh, if you are coming just because you wanna hear uh, people who aren't really good at talking, you are gonna have a blast. And if you mistakenly came on our podcast feed because you were looking for some quality, we're sorry. Uh, I highly recommend uh, pretty much anything else in the top audio section of your <laughs> podcast feed. Uh, regardless of why you're here, we're glad you're here. Welcome. And so today we are talking about the reason that this episode has an explicit tag, which is Octopussy. Yeah, it's still such a horrible horrible name. Well, the only thing that's more horrible is that you could almost hear the writers from the writer's room after they did the lines of cocaine uh <laughs> just like laughing every time they came up with a justification for the title yeah oh what's that oh that's my octopusy and they're talking about an octopus tattoo yeah and then they come to find out that it's also the ladies uh the lady not really villain she's the femme fatale slash love interest of the movie um, Octopussy is her name, uh, and they've literally plastered it everywhere. So there's no getting around it. There's no, there's no euphemizing uh, this episode. So I'm just gonna go all in. Uh, and <laughs> if you find that offensive, uh, you can stop the episode now. Next week, uh, there's a lot more offensive content, uh, but a lot, uh, a lot fewer offensive words unless I just decide to cuss a blue streak. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, we don't mind if you've left us. Uh, anyhow, what do you think of this one? This this is Roger Moore's uh, second to last appearance as James Bond. Um, this this year is kind of a weird year, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But what do you think of this one? Well, going into it, after hearing you talk about it, I had very low expectations, which I mean, it's something we've talked about in the past. And I'm not a huge James Bond fan anyway. Um, but I actually enjoyed this one. Yeah. So it was very entertaining and, you know, yeah, I liked it. It, it was fun. It, I, they made me laugh multiple times. They made me say, oh, brother, a few times, but it was good. I think that's Roger Moore's Bond in a, in a nutshell. But <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, I've forgotten this one. I haven't seen it a lot. And I really, really enjoyed it. I, it surprised me. I remembered it being worse than it was. Uh, Roger Moore's Bond is definitely showing his age, and when he's when he's with Maud Adams, uh, Octopussy in this movie, uh, it makes sense. They're they're relatively close in age, so their romance kind of makes sense. Whereas when he's romancing the girl who's easily twenty years younger than him, yeah. it just feels kind of icky. It's like watching your grandfather hit on someone. It's just <laughs> yeah. gross. Um, but it's. Um, Honestly, the movie by and large worked for me. It, it works kind of as a time capsule of the early 80s. It works yeah. for me as uh, a time capsule of uh, of this James Bond in particular. It uh, it feels like a greatest hits. If, if 
The Spy Who Loved Me was the greatest hits in kind of a cheesy way, maybe even a bad way. Um, this is the greatest hits of James Bond in a good way. It's yeah. taking the ridiculous and making it uh, palpable. Uh, just for the record, you probably hear a thumping in the background. We've got our dryer going right now. It's just a little loud. So <laughs> if you hear that, we're going to try to talk over it. But if you hear that going, uh, hopefully it doesn't put you to sleep with that uh, ASMR going in the background. <laughs> Anyhow, back to the movie, uh, a little history on this one. So this year uh, in Bond history, 1983, uh, really good year for film. Uh, this is the year that uh, Return of the Jedi comes out. Uh, this is the year uh, that another James Bond movie comes out. The, this year is called The Battle of the Bonds. Oh. Sean Connery teamed up with Kevin McClory uh, to make Never Say Never Again. Uh, we're not going to talk about it at length in this episode. Uh, mainly, and I think unless we just get bored or it comes on a streaming service, I'm not going to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will be paying in, in a couple of weeks' time for uh, the second Timothy Dalton film, uh, License to Kill, just because it's the one official James Bond movie I don't own. Uh, but... Uh, Never Say Never Again is a remake of Thunderball. Uh, they changed literally three scenes in the whole of the movie. But you have Sean Connery, who looks younger than he did in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Okay. Uh, and the movie plays as if James Bond stepped into an 80s action film, for better and for worse. And uh, it's Sean Connery... Uh, it's Kim Basinger as uh, a very young Kim Basinger. Um, I don't know who that is. That's okay. Uh, you also won't know the next name. Uh, Klaus Maria Brandauer as the villain. Uh, Mia Largo. It's, it is a unique film. It is a very interesting movie. It is a very 1980s movie. And it <laughs> has hands down. If you thought this week's uh, Bond theme for Octopussy all-time high... Uh, was bad. Oh my gosh, you've got to hear the theme for Never Say Never Again. It is awful. <laughs> uh, and the sound quality for it in the film itself is bad. Um, but uh, the movies went head to head and the big uh, the big thing that almost happened, almost happened but did not uh, because uh, Calmer Heads came through uh, Roger Moore almost cameoed in a post uh, post film stinger at the end as another James Bond. Oh. Uh, what was going to happen was Sean Connery was going to be walking past and he was going to say something to Roger Moore. Roger Moore would say something back and then they would keep walking. And uh, because Roger Moore and Sean Connery were good friends. Okay. Uh, I've actually learned in reading uh, there were most people that met Roger Moore over time became friends with him. Uh, I'm sure there were like guys that were maybe two or three levels under Roger Moore that, that weren't best buds, but anyone that he would spend any time at all with, they became close friends. Uh, originally I came to find out, I was listening to another podcast, uh, just yesterday. Uh, Cubby Broccoli initially didn't want Roger Moore as Bond. Really? Really. Um, but, they 
came to find out that they had several things in common, not the least of which was gambling. And uh, they became tight friends. Uh, Connery had been friends with Roger Moore for ages. And so they thought about it, they talked about it, and ultimately they decided not to for, for fear of damaging friendships or, or even production statuses. But uh, this, this is the year that the two most famous Bonds went head to head. And box office wise, Octopussy clean Never Say Never's clock. Um, but they both made a fair amount of money. It, it was a year that was unheard of. Uh, and had Kevin McClory had his way, it would have happened again and again and again. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. And I, I would argue for the best. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get into Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Um, at a certain point, other film franchises come in and begin competing with James Bond on James Bond's turf. And they start doing it, uh, doing the same thing that Bond is trying to do and doing it even a little bit better. And I think as you watch those movies come along, they make the Bond movies better as the Bond movies go. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the 90s and aughts um, and even into the present day. Um, but going back to 1983, this film is Roger Moore's second to last, uh, Octopussy. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will jump into the plot. And we're back, and we're ready to talk the plot of Octopussy. All right. All right. And so anyone who was old enough to actually get into this movie and not have to explain the title to their parents when they went to buy a movie ticket uh, <laughs> got in to see that John Barry was back. We start this movie off with John Barry's score, and man, is it a welcome change from the disco of the last movie. Um, is it weird that I didn't notice any of that? No, not for you. Uh, anytime I watch a movie, uh, the score of the film is, is very important to me. Um, so the last movie, the score oftentimes felt like a Rocky film. It occasionally would dip into James Bond territory, but it, it didn't really feel it. Uh, in this one, immediately John Barry scores back and it just, it changes the feel of the film. It, it feels, it feels more Bond for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but diving back in outside of the music, um, we're apparently at a horse show that's right next to a military base in Cuba? Uh, question mark? Yeah, it uh, never says. It's a South American country of some sort. Um, but uh, what's odd is that there is a horse show going while active maneuvers are happening at this uh, air base. Um, Bond comes in, meets with his uh, female counterpart who I just learned by verifying on IMDb is not the girl from Moonraker as I originally thought. <laughs> uh, she is a South American agent uh, of a similar look to the South American agent from Moonraker. Uh, found out interesting factoid for our listeners. Uh, the South American agent from Moonraker uh, actually appeared in a 
TV commercial around that time for Octopussy. Interesting. It had nothing to do with the film. It was uh, one of the many products displayed, probably a Seiko watch. <laughs> um, but I digress. Uh, Bond turns his uniform inside out. It's just a rather drab uniform. Uh, and flips it around and he's in a military outfit and then puts on the fakest looking fake mustache. Uh, Betsy's fake mustache uh, in oh, social media pictures word. looked much more real. Uh, I totally forgot about that one, but you always bring it up once I forget about it. Yes, and anyone who'd like pictures of that, no, ask do Betsy. Do not request it. It looks horrible. Ask Betsy. Anyhow, <laughs> she looks just like her dad. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. Your dad's not that pretty. Um, <laughs> anyhow, Bond Karate Chops... Uh, the guard guarding a, a dish uh, of some sort and plants an explosive, uh, but he's caught red-handed. Uh, he's driven away, assume, I'm assuming to his execution. Uh, Bond's uh, contact, who is an attractive woman, distracts the guards and driver uh, by showing off her cleavage. Uh, and they are just bad guards. They just like, <laughs> oh, I'll, oh, oh boobies i've never seen those before uh, <laughs> anyhow bond karate chops them uh shoots out their tires and gets away uh they get about halfway down the road and they stop and i'm trying to figure out uh why did you stop uh the they unhook the trailer uh that they've been pulling behind them and uh, she drives away, and he goes into the trailer. And I'm like, oh, he's going to get away on horseback. Nope. That's a fake horse's butt. Yep. And uh, behind the fake horse's butt is the tiniest of tiny jets, uh, which I would never fit in. Uh, my feet would be sticking out of the bottom. <laughs> Launches out of the back of this thing. Uh, Bond uh, flies through the air, uh, blows up the hangar. After doing all these cool maneuvers... Uh, he ends up running out of gas uh, and pulls up to a gas station where he requests that they fill it up. So, but I'm like, airplanes don't take the same kind of fuel that vehicles take, right? It's James Bond. It might. Yeah. He he might have been uh, premium, please. <laughs> uh, so, uh, fun fact, this is actually, if you watch this film, you could actually get the plane version and that's p-l-a-n-e uh version of that aircraft uh on order you could actually order the kit to build that plane yourself um in order to get the jet version as seen in the film you would need special licenses and uh basically operate at an airport in order to be able to get that yeah uh but for private use you could get the plane version that's really cool. Uh, a few years back, uh, a gentleman was flying one of these. Uh, he was one of, I think it was an owner of one of the few replicas from this film. And uh, he crashed it and died. Uh. Um, it was just a few years ago. You can actually look it up. Um, but these uh, jets do run on very little fuel when you're running at full speed. So it's not surprising that it would run out of gas. It is funny that he would ask it to be filled up. Yeah. Knowing Roger Moore, he was just being cute, and he immediately got out of the plane and said, keep it, I'll take your car. <laughs> uh, he has a habit of taking vehicles, as we'll see later in this film. Um, we get through the most 
laconic, just slow James Bond theme song that will be our credit song for this episode. <laughs> um, you fast forwarded through it, so I didn't even get to hear oh, it. Oh, I no, it's like oh, good. You listened to it last week, yeah, and I you know, gave I me did. a look like this is a Bond song. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's it's not good. It. I'm sure there's someone out there who just absolutely adores it. And God bless you. You can take the shoulder pads out of your clothes. <laughs> you can use a little less hairspray. You can <laughs> come into the 21st century. The 80s ended. It's all right. Come on through. Come on through. There's better music. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you there's better music. Any, You could go backwards. There's better music backwards, forwards, anywhere around, even contemporary to this song. Please, if you love this song, seek help. <laughs> go to Spotify. Just hit shuffle. <laughs> it's better. I promise you. I promise you. Anyhow, moving on from the god-awful song. Uh, we come back, and we are at the second to last place we think we would end up in a James Bond film. We're at the circus, and fleeing the circus is a clown. Uh, the clown is running away, and he is chased by a man with a knife. Uh, and turns out this man likes to throw knives. He comes around a corner, and uh-oh, there are two of them. Uh, these twin knife throwers. And... Uh, he thinks he's about to get away as he's crossing a bridge. One of the knife throws misses him, and the next catches him square in the back. He falls into a river and floats down a uh, stream uh, where he gets into the uh, British consulate. Uh, as the British ambassador is speaking to, I believe it's his wife? Yeah. I possibly think a mistress. So. It never <laughs> clearly states. Uh, he falls through the door dead. Out of his hand rolls a Fabergé egg. Uh, we come to find out shortly uh, in the meeting between... Uh, oh, excuse me. Had to take a sip of coffee there. Uh, we find out uh, from the briefing with our new M, played by Robert Brown, uh, that the Fabergé egg is a fake. Uh, the real one is being auctioned somehow they know that the Russians are involved. Uh, at this point, we go over and we get to see what the Russians are up to. And we go into the set of Hamilton if it was a Russian dictator's office. Uh, they've got a large rotating floor uh, in the middle of this office. And General Orloff, he is just hot and heavy for nuclear war. He is ready to go. He is just, he is excited to kill people and just start a war. He is ready for blood and glory and just absolute chaos. He is ready for it. And everyone in the room uh, is like, hey man, maybe, maybe chill it with the warfare thing. We're, uh, we're kind of on top of it right now. Maybe cool it. Just, just cool it, man. Uh, and, uh, the leadership of the communist party is like, yeah, you're, you're just a little off, man. Uh, Orloff goes, uh, to a shop where we find out that he's working with, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to call this individual, uh, the knife guy, uh, in the, in the credits, uh, the two knife men are known as twin one and twin two. Nice. In the film, they're referred to as Mishka and Grishka. Uh, a little later, we never get 
really... I couldn't tell you who's who. No. Uh, like, if one wore orange and one wore black, I'd be like, oh, that's... so." <laughs> no, they both wear the same they wear outfit. The same outfit, yeah. And they are, they're identical, so... Yes, they were trying to pull a prestige. <laughs> Spoiler for a film that is almost 15 years old. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> he's working with the knife guy. Uh, we go over to the auction uh, where Kamal Khan is bidding against Bond for the real egg. Uh, during the auction, one of the individuals who's bidding waves over the, uh, one of the items for inspection. Bond does the same, and at that time, he switches the fake for the real. Uh, the people around him get really worked up because they're like, what if you'd won? And he says, oh, Khan wasn't going to let this go away. He's like, when it got to 400,000 uh, pounds, there was no way. He he wanted it. He yeah. was he was, he was was going for it. Because the guy with him stated that it was not worth, what, 300,000? He said, he goes, it might go for 300,000. Yeah. And when, when Bond gets him all the way up to 500,000 pounds, it's like, Okay, this this guy, yeah. he wants it. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, uh, Bond tracks Khan to Delhi. We meet uh, VJ, uh, who is VJ is actually his real name. Uh, I don't know what his last name is. I could IMDb it, but you've got Google person listening to us. You can <laughs> you can Google it. Uh, he actually is a professional tennis player. He actually plays in Los Angeles, um, and he's really really good. Um, but in this film, he also uses a tennis racket a lot. We'll talk about that shortly. <laughs> um, but uh, Bond stays in a hotel casino because that's the only type of hotel Bond stays in. If there's no hotel casino, Bond takes the next flight to Reno and then takes a flight from there to wherever else. <laughs> uh, he sees Khan and his girl, who I did not get a name for, but... Uh, Believe it or not, she is a plot device. Go figure, a girl is a plot device in a Bond film. Uh, and they are shooting dice. Um, and uh, Khan's uh, comment to the individual who he is absolutely schooling is, it's all in the wrist, as he palms the real dice and uses loaded dice. Yeah. Uh, Bond catches on really quick because he's not an absolute moron like 90% of the other people in the room who have <laughs> apparently just gotten stoned out of their mind and don't even know where they are. They don't even yeah. know that they're playing with dice. Khan just keeps telling him he's winning and they're like, yeah. yes, yes, whatever you say. <laughs> Bond's like, oh, will I win? And they're like, oh, yeah. their heads spontaneously explode. Um, but uh, Bond uh, has figured it out the game, uses Khan's dice after he's uh, revealed to Khan that he is the one with the egg, uh, wins a ridiculous amount of British pounds, and Khan, very not subtly at all, tells Bond, spend the money quickly. Bond says, I intend to. Khan's henchman, who doesn't have a name, he is a nameless Sikh who is just absolutely terrifying if i saw this man anywhere i'd he could be the nicest guy on earth and i would call someone over be like hey would you mind walking with me i think <laughs> this guy wants to do me harm um but he crushes the dice in his hands into powder um 
at this point, we get a uh, duck duck chase through Delhi with VJ driving. And I'm like, man, this reminds me of when we were in Peru. <laughs> um, not the chase part. Uh, we only did that once in Peru. They do it like three <laughs> times in this. Um, but uh, VJ is like, swinging a tennis racket at these guys because that's just what he does um at one point they jump a camel uh in their duck duck um vj and bond uh, continue to fight until they're able to distract everyone with money they just throw it in the air and they're able to escape through a poster which immediately drops another poster as they go into their hideout uh, and inside that hideout Q Branch has once again moved to India, and this time Q is the one to say, thanks, Bond. We had to move literally our entire operation to India. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> that still cracks me up. Mm. I guess they, they finally started seeing the obvious as they were making it, that people are going to start noticing that this doesn't really happen, so they made a crack at it. So what, what they did, it's a process in script writing that's called hanging a lantern on it. It's like, hey, we know this is ridiculous. We're letting you know we know it's ridiculous. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. um, so at this point, uh, Bond is given a fountain pen uh, that uh, just spits acid, which seems very dangerous if you use the wrong pen um <laughs> we actually watched uh mickey blue eyes uh this weekend and uh there's a point in that that movie where a, a gadget is used wrong and it's very obvious and i'm like what if that happened to bond <laughs> or i have had pens explode in my pocket that could be awful oh yeah um so at this point, Bond has uh, dinner with Khan's girl. Uh, we'll call her Plot Device. That's her name for this film. Um, <laughs> and they sleep together because Plot Device. Yeah. Um, and she has uh, an octopusy tattoo. You can't see me doing air quotes. I'm doing air quotes as I say it. Uh, because God forbid we just call it an octopus tattoo. Yeah. Um, because we didn't need an extra use of this in this film because there's already a character named Octopussy. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, even Roger Moore rolls his eyes when she goes, that's my Octopussy. Eyes rolled, the whole room shakes because of it. <laughs> uh, anyhow, she steals the egg and escapes out the window and she moves kind of like a circus performer. That's only mildly important later in the film. Uh, <laughs> Khan is waiting below in his car and they drive off, but not before Bond is knocked out by the scary looking Sikh. Mm -hmm. uh, it's at this point that Khan takes the eggs, uh, takes the egg and goes to Maude Adams. Um, we see her from the back, even though she has one of the most pronounced voices uh, in the James Bond franchise. We know who it is. It's the only six foot one woman in the James Bond franchise. <laughs> Uh, nevertheless, we move on. And Bond wakes up yet again in the nicest prison. I'm really considering working for the British Secret Service if I get to wake up in just five-star hotels with bars on the windows. Yeah, I'm like, the canopy bed and all the bells and whistles. Like, literally, I would be like, hey guys, what I want to do is I want to go on your dummy missions. It, these are not about national security. It's literally to throw the scent off of our national security. And so I'm going to get captured. And what I'll do is if they know anything, it'll be transmitted to you guys. And in the meantime, I'm going to have a good stay. I'm going to work on my tan. I'm going to spill all kinds of secrets. <laughs> 
And if it ever looks like a rough prison, I'll just call you guys in and just blow it up. Just blow it up. I'll escape out the back. <laughs> Anyhow, Vaughn's uh, invited to dinner with his captors. They want answers. They're trying to figure out uh, how much uh, is known by the British government. Bond uses acid to escape his uh, suite slash cell. Uh, as he's escaping, he sees Orloff and the Russians get off of a chopper. Uh, Bond learns that the conspirators are selling counterfeit jewels and valuables. Uh, Bond escapes in a body bag out of a freezer where they are hiding bodies, but also the meat that they eat. Uh, and at this point uh, in the film, there's been like three scenes that are like, okay, this is India. They eat gross things at enter, like boiled sheep's head. Uh, I thought India overall was a vegetarian nation. No, not true at all. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I, I go to an Indian restaurant, so yeah, you're right. Yes. Okay. Uh, there are some... Scratch that. There are some <laughs> Indians that are vegetarian. Uh, there is a cultural vegetarian thing for Indians. But. Uh, there is, but there's... The bigger issue is you're not going to see cow. Okay. You, you're not going to see cow much uh, in dining. Um and that's based around several cultures and religions. Uh, but at, at this point in the film, I'm getting a lot of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom vibes. And I, <laughs> I had to think to myself briefly, was this before or after? It is a year before. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom will come a year later. Uh, and the Indiana Jones films are kind of a James Bond-esque yeah. film franchise. Uh, and I guess I can talk a little bit about other films doing Bond better. The Indiana Jones film franchise was doing Bond better at the same time. <laughs> and uh, at least the adventure standpoint and Temple of Doom will come out a year later and is a much better, tighter film yeah. than this one. Uh, but it, it uses a lot of the same, same stuff. Horrors of uh, weird things at an Indian dinner, uh, going into the jungle and being chased by horrible things, uh, yeah. being chased by scary people in turbans. Uh, and it set up a lot of bad stereotypes, honestly, uh, yeah. for me growing up. Of if I saw someone in a turban, I was terrified of them. <laughs> uh, and just for the record, just because someone's wearing a turban just means they're wearing a turban, guys. So get over it. Go up, say hi, and move they're on. People. Yeah, they're people. Um, yeah, the sheep, the boiled sheep head, though, grossed me out so much. I could not watch that scene. Like... And then uh, Khan eats the eyeball yeah, out of it. Yeah, that was the worst part. I was like, Ugh, I was feeling very queasy with that one. I was like, I wonder what that tastes like. Ugh. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, so at this point, uh, Bond is on the run. Uh, Khan has already formed a hunting party there on the backs of elephants. Uh, it's very British India. Um, and Bond is being hunted through the jungle. And he looks legitimately terrified. Uh, it except until he jumps onto a vine and yells like Tarzan. And it is the Tarzan yell. Yeah. Uh, he is able to escape on a passing tour boat uh, from uh, my native city, Cincinnati. Uh, <laughs> that's just randomly in India. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to finish the plot of Octopussy. And we're back. 
All right, let me find my place here. All right, so right off the bat, uh, Bond, after escaping, decides he needs to figure out what is going on with all of this uh, smuggling that's going down. So he heads over to an island of women run by Octopussy. Bond confronts her in her room, uh, and uh, we come to find out as Khan comes to visit and claim what is his, uh, that uh, Bond is to be guarded by Octopussy and her uh, island of Lady Commandos. Now, one thing I was trying to figure out on this island, were they all lesbians? I think it's insinuated, but it's never stated. Okay. Um, it's just an island of women. <laughs> so typically, typically in classical literature, uh, literature about the Amazons, about other uh, situations similar to this one, it's it's typically insinuated. Up until the present day, it was never out and out stated. Okay. Um, but it was usually heavily implied. Okay. Um, so it's heavily implied that uh, all of Octopussy's uh, ladies are lesbians, and even Octopussy herself might be bisexual. Okay. So, again, it's implied. It's never stated out and out. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, moving on, we find out that she is, at the very least, not a complete <laughs> lesbian because she sleeps with Bond. Yes. Um, at this point, uh, Q has been watching the island. Um, VJ comes in to relieve Q, and uh, uh, Q makes a quip about... Uh, VJ says, is Bond coming back? And Q goes, he's on an island of women. We'll be lucky to see him tomorrow. Um, and of course, uh, VJ is killed by one of the bounty hunters that uh, Khan has hired. Um, Bond and Octopussy are attacked um, by uh, the Buzzsaw Yo-Yo gang. Um, so was that the guy in the credits that was just uh, put as the Yo-Yo guy? Yes. Yo-Yo right. yo Man. Yo-Yo Man. Uh, not this mother's brother, but uh, a different one. Anyhow, um, Bond uh, feeds one of their attackers to a croc while escaping the island. Uh, Octopus, he had, had insinuated that she wanted to keep Bond under lock and key, kind of as a kept man. Uh, it also <laughs> kept, it would keep him out of her business and the process, but he escapes. Um and at this time, we arrive at the circus. And it's not just any circus. It is Octopussy's International Circus. Yeah. Because we needed the title in the movie again. <laughs> um, uh, it's name dropped that Mishka and Grishka are the Knife Twins. Again, cannot tell them apart, so we're just going to call them uh, the Knife Guys. Uh we see that there are Russian troops in the crowd. Apparently, the circus goes around to military towns, uh, as we'll see shortly. Uh, Bond acts like a roadie and tags along on the train. Uh, Orloff and Khan's men put a bomb in the base of the circus cannon. Meanwhile, uh, the jewels that uh, Octopussy thought they were smuggling are taken away. They're going to be uh, taken off by Orloff and his men to... Uh, I don't know, fund their massive war they're trying to start. <laughs> uh, but in the process of uh, trying to uh, 
get more information and sabotage the ill-doing. Uh, Bond kills one of the Knife Brothers and morbidly stuffs his body in the cannon, <laughs> which I'm just thinking, I hope they check that thing before they the human cannonball tries to climb in. Um, <laughs> it never says anything else about it, though. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and so... Uh, Bond confronts Orloff on the train. Uh, we get a gunfight and car slash train chase. Uh, Bond's tires are shot out or busted out. He drives over a spike strip and yeah. then he immediately gets the car onto the train. And don't you know it? It's a good thing that BMWs fit train tracks perfectly. <laughs> uh, and he drives fast enough on this car that was designed to go on roads uh, on the train tracks to catch up with the train right before it is uh, blown up by a train that hits it. Yeah. Uh, and thrown over the bridge into people on the boat. Yeah, and what's ridiculous <laughs> is that car was literally thrown at people. Yeah. Like, that car was launched, and one yeah. foot, yeah. one foot closer to these people, and people are dead. Yeah. Just gone. I mean, the actors there had to know what was coming and well, move fast. There's no... I, I guarantee you that they were stunt people, but sure. stunt, stunt people are not. Their life matter you, too. You get, you get hit by a 500 piece, uh, 500, 500 pound piece yeah. of metal flying through the yeah. air. You're dead. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just, oh, I thank God for CGI <laughs> every day. <laughs> Those poor stunt it's, people. It's how many saved a lot of lives. How many stunt people have died because of ridiculousness? I'm sure a lot. It's why I firmly believe that Tom Cruise is just every Mission Impossible film is another suicide attempt that he just films. <laughs> um, anyhow, I digress. Uh, getting back to the film, uh, Orloff knows that Bond is on the is on the train. Uh, he tries to chase Bond uh, and is shot by the Soviets because he is on the wrong side of the wall. Uh, the circus, if for those of you who weren't around before the Iron Curtain fell uh, in 1990, uh, East and West Germany was divided uh, up between the Soviet Union and the rest of Europe. Uh, on one side, you were heavily guarded by Soviet Union guards. On the other side, uh, you were guarded by Allied forces. Uh, and so if you were a Soviet on the wrong side of the wall uh, and you were chasing after someone, you would get shot uh, and vice versa. Uh, and so it's actually one of the more realistic parts of this film that a Soviet crosses the line and gets shot. Um, seems mildly out of place, but somehow works in this film. Uh, it is next that Bond fights and kills the other knife bro um, in the woods. He's chased in a similar manner to 009, who was the clown earlier in the film. And uh, right as the knife bro is going in for the move, Bond just guts him, just <laughs> stabs him with his own knife. Uh Bond is trying to get to the circus and warn them. Uh, we get another car chase where Bond steals a car from a lady who wouldn't let him call on the phone. Yeah, he's trying to warn them about the and, bomb. And you feel of two ways. It's like, man, it sucks that he stole her car and probably 
did a lot of damage. But on the flip side, you were kind of rude yeah. racing this guy who. Yeah, he was he was at the phone and she just jumped in front of him. So it was like, and he's just like, hey, I'm in a hurry. She's like, and then she's just in there chatting on the phone with her, her sister or whatever. And I guarantee Karen, because she was she was definitely <laughs> named Karen or the Russian equivalent. And uh, she, I guarantee you, she jumped in that phone and she was like, oh my gosh, mom, I was about to call you and you wouldn't believe there's a jerk. He's just right there. He's still at the glass. He's banging on the glass. Oh my gosh, this, mom. In the meantime, this whole town's about to go up from this big nuke or whatever that bomb was. It was like the and, nuke or And Roger a Moore is, is very urgent, but he's also very polite. Madam, I beg your pardon. Yeah. I beg your pardon. And just she deserved what she got i i hope she didn't have insurance <laughs> anyhow uh bond uh is running from the police he gets to the circus and he's running from the police and circus security uh he disguises military security yes too. uh he disguises himself as a clown there's absolute chaos at the circus because they figure out that bond is disguised as a clown bond is able to disarm the nuke uh, everything is calmed down uh, in the process. Uh, Octopussy has been double-crossed by Khan, and Bond tells her as much. Finding this out, uh, she and her circus, uh, we find out that a lot of uh, the ladies there, including plot, de uh, plot device, yeah. uh, have all been used by Khan and the Angry Sikh. Uh, which sounds like the title of the eighth Harry Potter, Potter novel. <laughs> um, uh, we find out that they were not in on the plan, and so they are now out for revenge. And so uh, Octopus, he confronts Khan while her, uh, her circus people and lady ninjas uh, just go in and clean shop. And all during this fight, I'm like, okay, where is Bond? Where is Bond during any of this? Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, he's hiding. He's in disguise somewhere. No, no. no. He comes in in the slowest moving vehicle possible. Yep. He comes in in a hot air balloon with the British flag on it. <laughs> and I, at this point in the movie, I was like, why not? Why not? <laughs> I was like, well, she's got it. I... I think she's going to do a decent job. <laughs> and he's just, he's coming in to back clean up. And uh, also, uh, just for the record, in this film, James Bond is the most lethal he has ever been. In any other James Bond movie, James Bond takes two or three shots to hit somebody, maybe more. He's, yeah. it's like an A-team episode. He can't <laughs> hit anything. But this one, he and this one, time. this one, he is getting headshots left and right just nuking guys yeah just boom dead boom dead boom dead and uh bond comes in and even though he came in in the slowest method of transportation possible uh he now decides to chase uh con and octopusy to the plane that uh con is going to try to escape on and uh Bond gets on, hangs on for dear life, uh, and we get a really cool scene where uh, Bond is fighting the angry Sikh outside of the plane. And anytime it moves out of a close-up uh, rear projection shot, which is actually much better than the past few films, uh, we can plainly see that Bond and the angry Sikh are wearing parachutes under their clothes. Um, but we get a really cool uh, fight scene. Uh, the angry Sikh 
uh, of course, falls to his parachute uh, because he was wearing one, obviously. <laughs> uh, but we'll assume death. Um, and we get a really cool scene where Bond gets into the plane, uh, hits Khan. He's jammed the plane into a downward spiral. As the plane is skidding across the surface of a cliff, he grabs Octopus. He jumps out right as the plane goes over the edge and explodes. Really daring escape. Um, and we get a uh, North by Northwest style ending where uh, Bond is in traction with Octopus. He, and he's hitting on her and she's like, but darling, you're in traction. And then he just totally busts out of it because we all know that the cure for broken bones and torn ligaments and tendons is horniness. <laughs> Sheer horniness will repair your body broken <laughs> to the brink of death. If you're horny, you're good to go. I'll tell you what you just, man, everything works now. Everything. It works better. You might have six toes now because <laughs> it fixes everything. So, yeah, for a minute I was I forgot about how it ended and I was trying to think of the end. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is one where they didn't end going off into the sunset somewhere together. I'm like, no, but it still did. Yeah. It still did. How did I forget that? And then we get again the laconic all-time high as as the <laughs> outro to this to this Bond film. And I've got to be honest, if if it weren't for the theme song in this film, it might be top three Bond films for me. <laughs> but that song just knocks it down so, so far. It is awful. I just think about the song. Well, uh, <laughs> if you keep listening to the end of this podcast, you're not going to be able to because coming up in just a moment, you are going to hear a rendition from the Best of Bond soundtracks. Uh, all-time high from the film Octopussy. Uh, we're really glad you came and uh, went along on this ride with us. I hope I hope you have something better to listen to after this uh, because I know I will. Um, we're going to come back next week and I promise you I pro promised you a bad Bond film this week. I'm sorry to disappoint. This one was actually very enjoyable. Next week is so bad it's good. Uh, next week, you are going to get such goodies as a 57-year-old uh, Roger Moore hitting on a 27-year-old woman. You are going to have uh, Christopher Walken as a Nazi Soviet. You are going to get a blimp fight. You're going to wow. get a, a chase scene through the streets of San Francisco where James Bond isn't driving. Okay. And it's all as ridiculous as it sounds. All right. Uh, also, a Bond girl puts the moves on Roger Moore, and it is incredibly uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to watch this one now. Oh, it's bad. And I'll tell <laughs> you right now, it is so bad, it is a heck of a ride. All right. All of this to Duran Duran's... Uh, Oh, view to a kill, but it should have been named uh, something else. So <laughs> we will be back next week with a view to a kill. Hope you all have a great week. Come back next. Bye.
I've said these words before 